Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Coming soon to Podcast One, the Gigi Podcast with Rick Fox, Jace Hall, and Todd Roy. Log on to see the world behind the esports you love and find out what good game really means from the trio who's taken the business by storm, including the three-time NBA champion behind Team Echo Fox. Download new episodes of the Gigi Podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The June 6th edition of the PFF Forecast, we have got um, a couple of news pieces, some mean tweets. Uh, Some of them are pretty mean this week, so, you know, we wrote a Trubisky story, that's why. Um, We've got the rewatch of Saints-Falcons week three, and then we are doing a team review of the Cleveland Browns, though I have a feeling it'll be more of a look ahead. Let's rock. Let's start with this. A couple of pieces of news. The first is a sad one. Um, news, news has come out that Todd Gurley may not ever be a bell cow feature running back again. Um, yeah, I hate to see something like this uh, so early in the offseason to have to lay someone to rest for whom so much of our hearts uh, bled, um, dearest Todd, your burst, your effervescent athleticism was something that scampering through the hole simply made my heart sing. Your ability to run angle routes against overmatched linebackers in space, your ability to get through six foot holes despite a bone-on-bone situation was tremendous we will forever miss you um we wish you the best upstairs um with the big guy (sighs) people forget that uh jesus was one of the first to establish the run that's true um now the next eulogy is, of course, for the cap space that his contract <laughs> will have eaten. Sorry, up. we've already moved on to Daryl Henderson. Sorry. So uh, <laughs> the other story is a Le'Veon Bell story. Did you hear this one? No, I didn't. Um, so Le'Veon Bell uh, went out to work out, it appears, and came back to his house. And two women uh, had apparently raided his closet and left with lots of jewelry. Now, the story starts with this, and then in the next paragraph mentions that the two women were, quote, Le'Veon Bell's girlfriends, end quote. Your thoughts? Uh, are they now girlfriends with each other? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just asking, like, are they, do they team up I have in a lot more of ways questions. than one? I have a lot of questions, right? Did they, did they both happen to show up at the house, get angry, then bond, and then rob him? Or... Were they like, does he just live in like a, not R. Kelly situation, but like a, got multiple girlfriends living in the crib and they, two of them, so it was like there's six of them, but two of them mm-hmm. were like, screw this, robbed him and, and peaced out. Here's the sad thing. They're taking advantage of his patience. Jeez. I had a friend in college who Thank you. had a separate phone for his two different girlfriends one lived on the fargo side one lived on the moorhead side you're kidding me and so he had so he he said the town was just big enough to be able to you know have that set up what if bell's house is big enough for like oh this is my left wing of the house girlfriend interesting this is my right wing of the house girlfriend and and somehow one of them ventured into the into like the the common area the neutral zone if you will Mm -hmm. i would have expected him to have a little better security uh, of the rock 
the diamonds. Like you don't just put them in your closet, right? You yeah, keep I that mean, high and tight. You have to have. You have to have a space. Spe- if you're going to run you that have lifestyle, girlfriends, you have to have a space. plural. You've got to be prepared yes. for worse. Like, come on, man. Uh, so we hate to see it. Plan- uh, planning again. and prediction has not always been a great thing for Le'Veon Bell, though, True. as last year would uh, attest. True. All right. We're going to move on to some mean tweets. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that pretty much every non-rational Bears fan hates us. Um, Trevor uh, Hembro, quote, PFF data scientist, end quote, is the new... PC translation of 40-year-old virgins. <laughs> you have children. I have children somehow. Uh, I don't, so maybe I'm the virgin. Yeah, but you're not 40 yet. You're only 28. True, but 29 people, some people close to me would argue that I'm really far older than my age. As an old soul. Yeah. 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 Uh, my girlfriend has told me repeatedly that I've been turning 30 for the past five years, so that... This really hits close to home. Thanks, thanks, Trav. What about Robbins2324? Referring to you, I think. Unless an emergency happens, get off your phone. You oh. are on air and shouldn't be on the phone. You have computers. Do the research in front of you. Yes. As, as you know, I check my phone often to get the latest breaking research. <laughs> oh, man. It's like, my, it's like my mother-in-law. Yeah. My favorite... So... Sometimes my my mom listens to this podcast, so she she may be listening now, in which case she'll probably get angry when I say this, but she was a huge proponent of no phones at like the dinner table. But that was back when the phones that like I had as a kid, like the one game was like Snake, right? Now she has a phone and like you can do everything on your phone, mm-hmm. right? So she's the one that's on the phone more often now at the dinner you table. Hate to see it. Love you, mom. Uh, all right. Bill Zimmerman at Zimmerman SXM. Don't want to know what that stands for. You honestly think your grades are analytical? That's like saying an English teacher getting uh, grading an essay is analytical. Yeah, this this gets to like the the, the Joe Banner discussion we had a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. This person actually like apparently hosts a Bears fan podcast, which again, we you stunned. Sometimes, so like a lot of these sites have good content and everything, yes. right? And like there are there are fans of te- you know there are people that sort of do both who end up having good analysis. I think Seahawks Twitter does a pretty good job. Vikings are okay, but like the you do have to understand when you are when you position yourselves as I have the the fifth best Bears podcast in the market. It's like you know you there's not no objectivity there, right? So you sort of have to be a little careful. But this person. You know, you know, very much says, you know, thinking like the original tweet was PFF grades are an opinion. Okay. So, and then he goes ahead and compares it to an English teacher grading one essay. Well, first off, English, good English teachers have a rubric that they grade things on. Yes. Right. And that rubric is sort of. Ever heard it, of advanced placement? Tests? It, it, it applies, Wrong. it applies a, uh, a value system, certainly. And, and our grades do apply a value system to, to what we think is good. So there is some opinion there. But as I you know, tweeted back to this person, this, that's not what this is. This would be like you taking a thousand classes in high school and then looking at your GPA, right? There is opinion embedded in all of those data points, but the collection of it actually has some value and is predictive. Um, so yeah, while... You I know, would welcome him to create his own opinions put them down on in, into a spreadsheet, if you will, since that's yeah. probably the limit of his uh, analytical Ability. capability, uh, and then see if they're predictive and stable, and then uh, get back to it. Exactly. Me. So it's, it's, not about the, it's not about the subjectivity. It's about, do these things actually predict things better than other things? And um, you know, this is just an upset Bears fan masquerading as a... The ghost of Judah tribe. I don't even know what that means. Uh, referring to Trubisky, top five quarterback... Shut the F up. Thanks. <laughs> and then Anthony Slazis says, you, you're idiots. Mitch is going to take a huge steps forward. We actually said that he could improve on the, on the, yeah. the, you know, the video, but I think it's hard not to be, I think it's, it would be hard for him to repeat with the highest rate of negatively graded throws this year. And so I think he will improve. And as I mentioned, the other parts of the team that we expect to regress will regress. So thanks, Anthony. I'm glad you listened. What about Jim Lander? You guys are growing on me. Got to admit, I was a hater at first, but you guys have gotten much better, better chemistry. Oh, nice. Uh, 
there's, was a, there's a invisible beaker right here in the middle. <laughs> uh, uh, then the last one here is Dale Johnson said, I can't believe I'm listening to Ben Roethlisberger's cousin talk to me about Mitch Trubisky. Get off my screen, loser. Wow. Fire and fury. I didn't know Roethlisberger had, you know, uh, uh, burner? Fit, fit cousins. <laughs> Uh, I always like to throw you a little curveball. <laughs> My hair is pretty rough, Burgerian, R- right, right? Yeah, right today. Oh man! Although you you cleaned up the facial hair, which we should have a vote because I think I think facial hair is a good look for you. We'll see. I mean, Matt agrees. I obviously agree. So, all right, all right. Let's go to um, Saints Falcons. This was Week Three, and. I don't know what your process is for watching these games. I think it's cool to come and compare the two, but I'm assuming that you went back and thought about both these teams going into this game. And you look back at the, the way their two seasons started. And we just, I think we assume because the saints should have made it to the super bowl that yeah, this wasn't as big of a game for the saints as it was for the Falcons. The Falcons obviously lose week one to Philly in sort of heartbreaking fashion they then come back and get a win in week two uh, that was a little more convincing. I think they won 31-17 over Carolina, I believe. I think they beat the Carolina by seven, but it was like a late touchdown or something weird, yeah. Um, but the Saints get their doors blown off by the Bucks week one. And then remember that Browns game where it was like they should have lost that game? It was a disaster. So like the Saints come into this game almost 0-2. Yeah. And when I watched the game, remembering that, it made sense. The Saints played as if this was much more of a must-win yeah. game, in my opinion, than the Falcons. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like they were you know, pretty efficient offensively. They did, you know, they... Yeah, they went. They went for it, right? They went for it. A multi, they went for it on fourth down late in the game a couple times. They blocked the punt. They did all these things that I think a desperate team does. Whereas the Falcons, weirdly, like they had they had some big plays. Namely, Cal, you know, Calvin Ridley had a terrific game, um, but they were not. They did not play desperately. They didn't, and and they had a lot of injuries on their defense. But you know, there were a lot of things I think the Falcons, you know, left on the field in this game. Yeah, so let's let's dive into the game a little bit. Um, it ends up being a really high-scoring game. So knowing that the way that the game starts is interesting, and and you know the the Saints come out, they score a touchdown on the opening drive, then there are a couple of punts, and then the Falcons start to put a few things together. They're running on first and second down seemingly every drive, but they get a couple of third-down conversions. They get a Ridley touchdown, and you go into the second quarter, you go into halftime, and to me, it's like the Falcons are just sort of being given this opportunity. The yes. Saints are not playing well, and the Falcons have not grabbed the opportunity that's there. Um, it, the Saints made a couple of really like interesting decisions in this in this first half that I thought were were super weird. They they had a fourth and goal at the two, and they kick. They had another. Um, I think it was a fourth and one punt. Yeah, fourth and one punt. Um, they had a fourth and four uh, at the thirty uh, and and kicked a field goal. So to me, there were opportunities there for the Saints to really take grasp of this game in the first half, and they didn't. Yeah, I I, ha- I wrote here. You know, it was like you know the the Falcons' first two drives that you had. You know, uh, bootleg throwaway, second down run, penalty drink. Yep. Second and second and twenty run right and don't, like they gave themselves no chance on the first drive after the after the Saints drove down and scored uh, pretty convincingly. But then you know after the Ridley touchdown, the Saints get the ball back and I wrote <laughs> and I have in my notes here you know nickeling diming the Falcons until some Taysom Hill BS yeah and then yeah. and then a punt right like so like he was sort of this human rain you know rain delay to the drive basically early in that season. And again, it just gave the Falcons an opportunity, you know, maybe that they didn't necessarily need to, you know, need to have. Well, to me, this game for the Falcons was was sort of lost 
uh, at the end of the first half. And at the beginning of the first half, as you said, their first two drives, they have second and long runs. They manage to get a touchdown on that, that long Ridley play uh, on one of those and have two third and long conversions on mm-hmm. that drive, which goes to back up the, the idea that, that pass or sorry, that running on second and long is smart. But the there's like a six point swing at the end of um, the second quarter, which is just really heartbreaking if you're mm. if you're watching this as a as a Falcons fan the the Saints should be scoring like every drive because the linebackers for the Falcons couldn't cover not me. to mention Brian Poole can't cover exactly Michael Thomas he couldn't cover Michael Thomas to save his life so um, it's it's 13 uh, to 14 uh, Falcons after the, another Ridley bomb and the the Saints punt and then the falcons get it back with about one like 30 left and this is that opportunity right so i i think it's always you know that people talk about the patriots ability to kind of close out halves and then like get the ball you know back in the second half and really what it is is simple math like you want yeah. more drives than the other team <laughs> so the, the falcons have this chance to even up the number of drives in the first half despite the saints starting with the ball yeah. which is what you want they run two straight times because of course why wouldn't you and then like as if they want to make sure that there's no clock left yeah. put themselves in a third down and then end up going three and out with an incompletion <laughs> kick the ball back and New Orleans gets it at like the 45 and gets a field goal yeah I mean there was and, and that not only those three points but they also like got unlucky when you know in uh, the field goal I believe it was like it was off one of the uprights and in mm-hmm. right so like yep, they're yep. they should have been up 14 10 really and then they sh- you know ended up the half down to 14 to 16 but again this was one of those where they really did not it didn't seem like they understood the situation that they were in, right? You, you, you're against a team that is beat, that kind of beat your brakes off in the first half, and you're up by one. Mm-hmm. The point is not to sit on this because if you sit on this, like things are going to catch up to you. That you have to bury the Saints here. And at the end of the first, I mean, the number of times they ran Coleman was just unreal in this game, and the lack of success they had um, to you know in that in that realm, it was just. It, it was something to behold, certainly, given how great Matt Ryan was in this game. I wrote, I hate outside zone. I hate first down runs. I hate second down runs each at least three times while watching this game. The Falcons' desire to run the ball on first and second down was utterly amazing, and it paid off for them. On first down runs, the Falcons averaged, wait for it, 0.8 yards per play. You love to see it. The Saints, 5.7 uh, it just so happened that the Falcons obviously ran about 8% more frequently on first down. Because when you're averaging .8, you've got to do it. Um, well, and yeah, and so they, they get the ball at the start of the second half, right? They, they, get, they get a sack. They get a long run, finally, on the out. They, you know, the, the, setting it up. The, the abusive boyfriend comes back and gives you flowers. And then, and then you had a, a, you know, a pass to Sanu, and then you had the Ridley pass interference. They were certainly spooked by Ridley um, getting over the top of them. And then I thought Ryan's pass to Ridley for a touchdown in the left corner of the end zone, his moves in the pocket, I it thought was he great. was really great uh, in terms of like, it really did show how good Matt Ryan was going at the time and then and then and then they get a punt they get they get Vic Beasley to make a play I know his one good play of the game he goes absolutely ballistic they force a punt get the ball back and this was and what <laughs> I wrote what I wrote in my notes was this was this was the moment the Falcons are back they've got the ball they have a lead they have a chance to press the advantage and what happens it's exactly what you'd expect to happen. Yeah, so they, they open they open and empty. They're going to get aggressive here. Yep. Ryan, you know, Ryan runs for a game, then they go then they go Ridley run on a kind of a reverse and then Sunu drops the ball. It's sort of tipped at the, you know, yep. tipped at the line of scrimmage and everything. So they go th- and then and then of course the most Falconians thing to have happen is the long snapper throws a 12 to 6 curveball to the punter and it gets blocked. I wrote here on this drive, outside zone on second and two, because you have to move backwards in order to move forwards. The play at one point is eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. I think that was the Ridley one. I just wrote outside zone because I was so angry. But it's like the guy is at one point eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. You need to gain two yards. 
I don't even have a pro- I have no problem with running on this play. Just for the love of God, do not move backwards eight yards and then have to cover up that ground running with the ball. At least throw it if you're going to do that. Just so infuriating. They block the punt. Of course, New Orleans capitalizes as you would expect them to. New Orleans was a penalty disaster inside the 10, but it didn't matter because whenever they needed to, they had Michael Thomas in the slot or Alvin Kamara on the linebacker, and it was just guaranteed to pick up some yardage. It was really sort of amazing that the saints targeted linebacker 17 times in this game yeah nine yards per play they targeted the safeties and linebackers together 30 times for eight and a half yards per play they were just roasting the interior um, of that defense predictably so right like no deon jones a huge loss for this team, especially against a team well, like the Keanu Saints. Neal was out, um, and so yep. and then you had Demonte KZ also. Uh, their free safety Ricardo Allen was also injured. So um, yeah, and then they get the ball back right. And again, this is how good Matt Ryan was. They run first down, don't get much many yards. They pass to you know Julio and Ridley to convert anyway, right? Um, well, it, the funniest thing was it was the first down run with a hole. With a hole, right, right. <laughs> and then, and then the interesting thing is they they put in Ito Smith, who is this like random running back, right? Yep. And he actually looks pretty spry, right? They they sort of mix it up, you know, running back who who hasn't played a lot in that game, sort of changing the pace both in the passing game and the running game. Really wondered why. Okay, we're going to establish Coleman in this game. It's like for what end? Um, and then they you know they get the touchdown pass to Coleman. Go for two. Go for two. Again, and this is like sort of the, the Falcons like pull you back in. Because going for two was great. Well, There's really no difference between being up four and being up five. The, and the Saints. The six is huge. The Saints just before I wrote this down, I was like, why did they not go for two? Now, mm-hmm. I get that you're not expecting that to be the final margin. But still, like, why would you not want to have that three-point advantage so that when you build on it, it's you know mm-hmm. a two-score game like that? That didn't make a ton of sense to me. And then the Falcons, as you said, they pull you back in just after destroying your heart with outside zone that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Come back to you. They're up 29 uh, now to 23. So they've got this six-point advantage. And this is where this is where everything falls apart because Taysom Hill ends up making Vic Beasley look like he's never played football before just roasts him for about 40 yards they end up in a fourth and one and this is where sean payton is not going to make a mistake he went for this fourth and one obviously they pick it up because it's one freaking yard and right, the right. saints um and that puts it back uh you know into a, a now 30 to 29 game for the saints and you figure okay look the falcons are going to have to find a way to score and not score it as time expires because yep. if not they're in real trouble yeah and they do they get a big play to julio they you know run a couple times to coleman he gets stuffed they get a sack and then they get this and i remember you messaging me like something like you know <laughs> we're you know we're never going to get a game right and then the field well, goal well, but the julio throw so that's what pissed me off about this drive the julio throw was underthrown yeah yeah it should have been it, it should have been, been a touchdown and then they get it's like this is the Falcons, right? Yeah, yeah. Because then what happens is they end up in like third and one and get a penalty, and it's like fourth and fifteen or whatever. They're kicking a field goal, yep. and there's a personal foul on the, the contact Saints with the center. So I literally had written down, you know, like field goal. This is just a joke. I had forgotten what happened, and they, so the luck has turned. Maybe finally the luck has turned for the Falcons um, because they end up getting the score and then going for two again gives them a seven point advantage, which is terrific. Um, Saints get the ball back about seven minutes, right? And yep. and one of the more masterful drives, right, that, that you've seen, right? Because they go, Thomas gets a big catch. He sets the record, NFL record for most catches in the first three games of a season. Mm-hmm. Um, they go with Ted Ginn on a reverse. I thought, you know, one of the things that really hurt the Saints down the stretch of the season was that they didn't have Ted Ginn. I think yep. Ted Ginn's an effective player for them. Uh, might even be so more now that they have a tight end on their team. Um, you know, Camara, Camara just starts. Ga- I, I, I'm re- writing here. You know, this Atlanta team is just getting gashed by Camara yeah, all over dis- the place. It's a disaster, and yet, and yet they, they have, have third down. They have so many chances here to make a play, and it was it was almost as if in the first half they just 
the Saints just gave them these plays. Like they didn't care that much. And mm-hmm. so it was like the, the Falcons had these chances. And then now in the second half, the Saints sort of realized, look, we need to make sure we execute on third downs. And Vic Beasley goes like lunging at Taysom Hill as if he was a statue. He's not. He's actually moving. So Vic Beasley eats air. Taysom Hill picks up the third and one. And this was my favorite thing. The next play is a first down. Vic Beasley stops a run for like one yard and goes ballistic. Yeah. (laughs) But then later on in the drive, we had Breeze on a like rolling left, broke a Bryant. Brian Poole and Robert Alford basically run into each other and Breeze gets a touchdown. This is when we should have known. And then, of course, with 115 left, the Falcons, you know, don't do much. Okay. So I want to talk about this this touchdown here. So it was 37-30. The Saints score. It's 36-37. Saints are down by one. You got about 115 left. I would you have gone for two? If you're the Saints. I think the first order play. the first order analytical decision is yes. The the second order is of course like is if you're playing an offense as good as Atlanta, right? Like are do you entice them to try? Because that team, when trying this game, had their number, had your number, right? So it is interesting. I think one fifteen is enough time where I would be fine either way. Yeah. What do you think? It's interesting because, <laughs> and you're not the un- you are an underdog nominally, but at this point in time, yeah, you really aren't, right? If, you, if with one fifteen left, if you so. The idea being, of course, if you kick the PAT, 37-37, if you go up by one, now all of a sudden Atlanta is, has got to try and score. So they're going for it on fourth down as opposed to kicking it away. With 115, if they only run three downs and then you know, punt it away, you can still win the game in regulation. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, I think that's where it pushes me over the edge to accepting what Sean Payton did as being a shrewd move here. And then when you get to, should you then get to overtime, right? You've got this 50, 50 chance of getting the ball and winning the game basically. Well, and and my notes for overtime says tails never fails and the game is over. (laughs) (laughs) Who who are you more scared? So who would you be more scared of? Um, Getting the ball first in overtime. Oh, Saints. The I mean, Saints. The, the Falcons. Ha- there's, there's, there's a huge collection of universes where the Falcons have the most brilliant drive in the world and score in like two or three minutes. Yeah. And then there's a couple universes where Ryan throws the ball off of Tevin Coleman's hands and it gets picked off for six points uh, by the Saints. Whereas I once I didn't see much of a chance that the that the uh, that this that they were going to like struggle at all once the Saints got the ball. I thought it was it was curtains. And and even that said, there was a third and eight where they predictably Kamara attacks a linebacker. Um, uh, no, sorry, safety it was like Richards. I think mm-hmm. uh, gets exactly eight because of course. And then they have a third and five again, and they <laughs> they isolate Michael Thomas on a linebacker, and so it's over. So there were chances there for for the Falcons, but where they really lost this to me was again, the the first and second down decisions to run the ball and average 0.8 yards per run was just absolutely disgusting. Um, Atlanta six second and and long runs for a wonderful two yards per play. The saints did it half as frequently uh, and averaged the same number of yards per play, but you just can't, you can't do that. You can't punt the ball away on second down. But the thing about the thing about the the Saints as well is that they're actually an efficient running team, unlike Atlanta, which was like they were running to like establish uh, disaster. It. Yeah, and and so I actually don't mind them doing. I actually don't mind them going ahead um, and you know and running, mixing it in a little bit. Whereas the Falcons, like these, I mean, they were like, okay, Devontae Freeman's hurt. This is Tevin Coleman's time. We're going to see if he's going to be the next running back for our team after time. he hits free agency. And it was just an egregious amount of, of inefficient football. So coming out of this game, I think we were probably pretty um, pretty accurate in what we thought about both teams, which is the Falcons are in real trouble because they cannot stop anybody. Um, and, the, and the Saints are probably not as, as in trouble as maybe we thought. Yeah, well, and right. And the Saints were a slow starter in 2017 True. as well. So 
Um, but they did really look. I mean, offensively, the Saints were really good in Week One, poor in Week Two. I mean, it, it is interesting, right? Because like, I wonder. You know, when we were first starting to analyze games together, we got off to a pretty good start in 2017, and maybe that was just noise, right? 2018. How much did we overreact to two games? Like the Falcons sure. looked terrible week one against Philly. Yep. They looked really good despite all the injuries against Carolina. So we're we're sitting here saying, "Oh, Carolina's a good team. That we don't yep. have anything to worry about with respect to the Falcons. Yep. They've got this thing figured out. They got everything ironed out. The Saints have struggled. The Saints have struggled. But in reality, like. What were our priors? Our priors were, okay, the Falcons are a pretty good team, but not as good as the Saints. The Saints are going to be you know, a pretty good team. And like in a game like that, the Falcons probably should only be favored by maybe minus you know, three, which they were. And uh, you know, us being you know, overreacting maybe to the first two weeks you know, are you know, like the Falcons minus three, which might have been a mistake. Agreed. Okay, uh, any thoughts on next week's game? I kind of want to do a Patriots game. Well, let's. What if we? What if we killed two birds with one stone? Ooh. What if we did Patriots Bears? I that was. I had Patriots Jags, Patriots Bears, and Patriots Chiefs as options. I like. I mean, because because that was a game that Trubisky like. You know, Trubisky actually was played from behind, right? So we got to see him in that realm, which we hardly saw. Okay. Um, and Let's do Pat's Bears then. We do Pat's Bears. That's fine with me. We are very happy to welcome in all the way from Germany on the anniversary of D Day, no less. Timo Riske, uh, also known as PFF Moo. Uh, you have one of the best nicknames uh, on Twitter. That's for darn sure. Um, welcome. Yeah, well, uh, hi, hi. Thanks for having me. Really, really excited to uh, be on your podcast and on your team. What? Uh, um, let, let's go. What time is it in, in Germany? A lot of people out there struggle with uh, the time difference. So let's level set here. We're doing this at 11 a.m. It's what over there for you? It's 5 p.m. currently. So just know the team is always ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, tell your, your family thank you for uh, allowing us to take you from dinner this one time. Um, I, I know that that can be a struggle <laughs> for some people more than others. Uh, we are pumped to have you on the team. You are going to be contributing um, in a in a sort of consulting role, uh, but whatever we can get, uh, we will take. So we're going to do a few icebreakers as we did with Kevin last week, um, and let's start with this one because I am kind of uh, I lived in Germany once. A long, long time ago. And so I'm curious your response to this question. If you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, I think uh, I'm going to cheat here and say um, the obvious answer is bread. Okay. Because I can put on it whatever I want. So nope, I can that actually is not, eat That is cheating. Anything. You'd have to eat plain bread. Unless you pick one um, topping. In which case I'll yeah, let then, you pick that then one topping. Bread, then in this case, bread is not the answer. Okay. <laughs> So, do you have a backup, or are you starving for the rest of your I life? I think pasta. Okay, okay. but I'm not going to let you get off that easy. What kind of pasta? Yeah, uh, pick a sauce or a topping. Bolognese. Okay. Now, I was not expecting that. Is that. Do you find that the pasta in Germany is very good? Uh, if you go to an Italian restaurant, it is. Okay. All right. I, he did highlight so American bread is like notoriously awful, True. right? So this like relative fair. to European, like when I've had gone to Europe and had bread, like I do that answer doesn't surprise me. Um, but if you come over to America here and you have the bread, I think you'll be underwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's ex- uh, when when Samaron leaves Germany for an extended period of time, um, the first thing that you miss is is German bread, definitely, because we we eat it every morning. And if you're in another country and they have this weird stuff which isn't really bread then it's it's not like like you're used to Mm -hmm. i i was expecting so my takeaways from having lived in germany and having gone back a few times is that the soup there is on a different planet and i can think of like five or six different soups that i could probably eat for an extended period of time without going crazy and the second thing is that the sausages uh not eckridge but are pretty darn great um so 
I'm surprised. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with both. I think that's, these are good answers too. Yeah, thank God. Definitely. If I had failed the, the German part of the podcast, I'd be in trouble. All right. Uh, Non-football-related podcast or TV show that you most regularly listen to uh, or watch? Actually, I'm not much of a podcast guy. Okay. I, I have started to listen to, to some football podcasts, mostly when commuting to work. Uh, for instance, uh, this run, which is a great run. Of course. And... Um, Actually, I'm also not um, uh, much of a TV watcher. Um, my wife isn't also. So um, actually, when, when I watch TV, it's usually sports. And when it's not football, it's usually soccer. Okay. And what is your, um, obviously, the German national team. But if you had to pick a, a specific team in Germany, who would it be? It's uh, Borussia Dortmund. Oh, okay. I was a Bayern fan when I lived there. What about you, Eric? Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> that was I, so while answer. I cannot relate at all to the to the soccer uh, fandom, I can relate back when I was going to graduate school. I can relate to having a TV that for which like one or two channels worked and not watching really any TV. So uh, bless you in that in that regard. Um, all right, we'll pivot back to f- uh, food and drink here for a second. Last week's podcast, I said that beer was very overrated, and I was excluding. German beer. So, what is the best German beer? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, I think it's hard to put a name on it. I mean, it's definitely not what they serve at Oktoberfest. <laughs> and this is this is just to get drunk. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and yeah, you better get drunk if you drink this. Um, but I, I think um, um, what you should do if you're in Germany and you want to drink some good beer is um, I, I'm a big fan of of wheat beer. And um, you can go to, to Bavaria, and there are some smaller cities. So in, in mass, in, not necessarily Munich, but some, some smaller cities. And there are like hundreds of um, small breweries um, in, in, in these cities. And um, yeah, you can go there and, um, and just um, drink, drink their own beer. And this is really, this is really delicious. All right, and so, it's also quite cheap. It's, it, it's like 60 or 70% of what you usually pay in a pub or something like so this. So what you save on beer, you can use on a flight, go to Bavaria, which now Bavaria is the southern part of Germany, sort of around Munich. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's where the most uh, wheat beers are brewed in, in Germany. And then go on a uh, little brewery tour. So that's great because that yeah. means I don't have to go buy some here. I will wait until I go to Germany to try them. Perfect. Um, the one that I remember best is Francis Cotter. That was a yeah. That's that that's that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. If you if you if you had um, in a supermarket and have to decide on a beer, it's definitely a good choice. All right. Next up, um, th- this is a, p- a kind of a pivot off of that one. What is the funniest Oktoberfest story that you could tell on this podcast? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I've. Go ahead. I've never been to Oktoberfest in, in Munich, okay. but um, there is um, there's a, a smaller run um, which is not as f- uh, famous uh, internationally, I guess, in Stuttgart. Okay, and that's that's only two hours from from where I live, so we've been there several times. And um, yeah, well, which uh, well, some funny story here. <laughs> I, I would imagine. So I. I've never seen this actually happen, but the story, the crazy story I've heard is that there's this group of people that have a competition every year that um, basically they have to drink. So they carry around a mug at all times and they have to drink whatever is put in it. So the last person standing wins some absurd amount of money. But in order to be the last person standing, you have to drink anything. So the people in the competition will go and like piss in a bottle and... (laughs) Pour, pour the pee in the hate, bottle. Hate to see it, and they've got to drink it. Like have to drink anything. So I don't know if that's true. I just heard it to be the case. And given my like distant memories of what it uh, what it was like there, I think that's probably fair. I mean, that's that's so far away from the truth. I think. <laughs> um, so Timo, it, you're getting a PhD in math. Yeah. And and like there's always this like interesting thing about like you go home for holidays or something or you're standing in an elevator. Somebody asks you what you do for a living. How would you describe your sort of like your Ph.D. topic to some to, to somebody cutting your hair? 
Yeah, I mean, that's also a good question because actually I have a hard time explaining it to my office colleague who also studied math. <laughs> well, that's good. So this should be great then. Yeah. But uh, I think, <laughs> I mean, um, what I could say is um, when, when I'm doing math, um, I, I live in a world where uh, the uh, where one plus one plus one is, is not three, but maybe zero. This is, uh, this is the, the world where I, where I live in when I'm doing math. Yeah, and currently people on the internet are living in a world where Mitch Trubisky's good. So, like that's the that's the uh, that's why we brought you on because you know how to you know live and create and, and work in alternative universes. I was going to say run plus run plus run <laughs> equals, first. equals zero. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's great. So yeah, I, I, that's one of the things that, to be quite honest, I'm like most excited about because you have a PhD in math and you apply some crazy stuff, you know, some mathematical concepts that a lot of normal run of the mill data scientists out there, quote unquote, data scientists out there won't implement. And Moo is going to come in, I'm sure, and do the exact same thing. Well, and he's, you're you're absolutely right, Timo. Like when, you know, I had an office, I shared an office as a grad student with like six other people. And, you know, I, it was strange because I was an applied mathematician. So every time we would walk to the coffee shop, I would bring a different book every time you know that I was reading. And my friend brought the exact. He was in, I believe, algebraic geometry as well. And he would he brought literally the same book to Starbucks for three straight years. And so, yeah. like the the depth and the you know, I was more of a breadth guy. You know, I learned a lot of different models and and you know ways to prove theorems about them. And he learned one subject extremely deeply. Uh, and it was just and and you know, he and I couldn't relate to much. You know, in our research, he was very uh, pure, and I was very applied. So it's sort of interesting that, uh, for you to say that because my my experience was similar. Um, so I like to call you Moo. Um, my first question on this is: Does it annoy you if I if I call you Moo? Is that gonna is that a problem? Uh, no, it's okay. Actually, I, I've I've gotten used to it. Um, um, I actually, um, b- even before I, I, I um, got on your team, I mean, I was um, uh, some some people mentioned me in their podcasts, and I listened to them, and I I, I never realized that that. Um, uh, that you would call me Moo, and then uh, yeah, I started to realize, oh yeah, the uh, Americans will call me Moo <laughs> based on my based on the writing in my in, of my name. But actually, in in Germany, um, it, it's Mo. Oh, I like Mo too. I'm a big nickname guy. Um, so anything that's a good nickname, I'm all about. Is there a story? So I'm guessing then. I was excited to ask you what the story behind your nickname was because Timo and Moo are not exact. Like, there's no. It's not Timu. So I was curious what the origin of the nickname is. I guess it's simply that your name is Timo and it's pronounced Mo. Yeah, that it's it? just the the last part of my name. My 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 girlfriend, my then girlfriend, now wife, started calling me Mo, and uh, all my friends um, caught caught this up and also started calling me like this. And yeah, then it, yeah, nice. All right, well, Mo it is. Couldn't stop it. <laughs> Mo spelled Moo works for me. All right, let's move to football. So, yeah. so why, why the Buccaneers? What, it, what was, you know, because your, your picture originally was a Tampa Bay. You know, when we started interacting on the internet, it was, just, it was a Tampa Bay symbol. And it was, it's always interesting when people, you know, didn't grow up in the state of the team that they're, or the, even the country of the team that they root for, um, how they ended up, you know, gravitating that way. What was, you, what was your reason? I was in, in my second season following the NFL. And uh, I thought I needed a team, and there were there were some teams I gravitated towards, and um, then I simply asked my girlfriend to buy me a team beanie for Christmas, and I gave her three choices, <laughs> and it it um, it ended up being the Bucks, and so uh, I I am Bucks fan. Wow, that is a rough way to. <laughs> Well, but you know, what's really great about this, though, is like if you became a Steelers fan or a Patriots fan or like a Green Bay fan, everybody could accuse you of being on the band like a bandwagon. Um, But when Tampa Bay becomes good again, like you're going to be like, well, I was there when they were bad, you know, so you can really sort of play that up. Uh, So I think I think you're playing the long game well here. Definitely. I I can even say I started becoming a fan when they were bad and. Then I waited like uh, for, for an eternity, and maybe they will be good at any time. Well, Eric is very bullish on the Bucks this year, 
And I'm curious about two things. How much fun is it to root for Jameis Winston? And are you as bullish on the Bucks as Eric is? I, mean, I think it's his, his style of play is, is definitely fun to watch. Um, <laughs> obviously, there are some, some um, off-field off stuff that I'm not as uh, excited about. But I can't change that. So, I mean, uh, well, yeah. I'm Uber, also not, uh, Uber is a German word, right? Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't exist in Germany. It's not allowed in Germany. Interesting. Oh, well, that's because yeah, that, the, that that's Uber the cap, weird. The, the cap cap companies um, complained about it, and then um, yeah, it's not allowed in Germany. So basically, exist. like Vegas, Vegas like outlawed them for a yeah. while. Still don't like them very much because of the cap companies. So th- what's their win total? Six and a half. Yeah, Are you, you're going over, I assume. Yeah, I think seven wins is, is feasible. Oh, a pragmatic fan who also happens uh, to be a mathematician. You you love to see that. Um, <laughs> so so what about what do you think? Other than who's going to face Tampa Bay as the AFC component of the the Super Bowl this season? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean if if the Bucks uh, make the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm, I think I hope that they play against the Chiefs. I mean, they would probably get their ass beaten by Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but uh, I think it, it could be a very interesting matchup. Uh, lots of offense. Well, they're going to have to get through the, the Bears first, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, were, we, the, we saw a, a particular book that had the Bears as the favorite now to, to come out of the NFC, and that was certainly something that uh, triggered the, the two of us. But I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's a, that's a good matchup. I remember James, one of Jameis's good games in 2016. He actually did beat Kansas City in Arrowhead, so that you know he's done it before. So you know, I think this was the first game of of the win streak there where they almost made the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. That in 2016 they really did have a nice little run there, didn't they? And then they, I think it was just, I mean, they they lost a Sunday night game in Dallas that maybe they yes. should have won, and then and then that kind of turned the, the tide. Football, and it was yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, Cameron um, Braid. Yeah, who's your favorite Bucks player? Um, it's uh, Chris Godwin. Chris, Go- I like Chris Godwin and OJ Howard, so I like the okay. two, 2017 draft. draft. Young guys. Uh, yeah. Do you own a Bucks jersey? Uh, no. Oh, uh, only only. Well, the, we've got to get a Mo beanie. a Mo jer- Mo Bucks jersey. That's right. Here. That's right. Um, all right, we'll get you out of here on this. So obviously you. If anyone wants to know a little bit more about you, they should go follow you on Twitter. You have got you've produced a ton of really good content on Twitter, which is one of the great things about Twitter. And um, unlike many of the much of the content that's out there, uh, yours has real math involved with it. So you have some opinions worth listening to about the inefficiencies in football. So what, in your mind, is the most easily curable inefficiency that happens in football today? I think in, in danger of just repeating what, what Kevin uh, told us last week, it's, I think, in not trading up for, for non-quarterbacks. It just doesn't, at, at least in the, let's say, first two rounds, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and when and, and you don't have to do anything for it, just stop it. I mean, it doesn't take anything. And, uh, yeah, the fourth down decisions, I mean. Yeah, go for it more often. You, you, yeah. It's also, it comes for free. You don't have to do anything. Just, just both, do it. Both of those things are like free, right? It's like just don't do anything stupid, and you'll get some, yeah, some great. It's really interesting too. though, because like I like the answer that you gave because it, it's not. So I think oftentimes people in the analytics community can get two one way. So it's either like take more risks is the answer to every question, but actually you gave a balanced one in the draft. Don't take risks. When you know, don't be overconfident because you can't. You know, and but on the field, take risks on fourth down because the the you know the cards are in your favor. So it, I think a g- couple good answers there. I like how you used his last name. Oh, there, <laughs> take risks. I, the the bigger issue is that people view them as big risks when they probably right. shouldn't be. Right. Um, you should be a fan then of what the Saints did in this past draft because really uh, they were just a center away. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, actually, uh, tweeted uh, I, I, like one month before the draft when um, Max Anger retired. I actually, tweeted out that I would hope that they spend some some twenty twenty draft capital on on the two thousand nineteen centers, and and actually they did it. So I was pleased. Oh man, it's 
it's funny because I love I love Sean Payton. He's one of my favorite coaches, and his just doesn't give an f attitude about anything has certainly got to permeate into trading future draft capital for guys that he yeah. thinks is gonna are gonna put him over the top, such as Marcus Davenport. Very close, almost. Um, we're gonna have you on the pod quite frequently to discuss uh, German beers and other things of that ilk. So you'll hear more from uh, Mo in the future. Uh, Timo, we appreciate you coming on. Go enjoy your dinner. I appreciate you having me. Your pasta and bread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See you, Take man. Take care. See you, guys. All right, next up, we have got uh, the Cleveland Browns. A lot of hype on the Browns this year. They went 7-8-1 and one last year. Obviously, the Hugh Jackson disaster. Um, he gets canned. Freddie Kitchens comes in rejuvenates the offense to a certain extent um they, I mean, their over under last year was five and a half this year of course people are very excited about them they've got a lot of money on them to win the whole darn thing they're the favorite uh in their division so let's let's actually start with this given how last year went and the additions that they've made favorite to win the AFC North, I believe we would handicap them as favorites. Although, no, actually we don't. We we still like Pittsburgh, which is different than the market. Um, they are Vegas favorites currently. Yep. This is, to me, a classic sort of bounce-off-the-ceiling type team. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going up. Ceilings, I think, a little lower than people believe. And oftentimes these teams, because expectations are such... They will bounce off the ceiling a little bit. Now, we didn't see that last year with the Rams. True. But we have seen it with, historically with teams, you know, Minnesota being one of them. Like, these going from, going from zero wins to seven is a lot easier than going from seven wins to ten. And so I think, I think Browns fans are going to um, maybe be a little bit disappointed in our, you know, uh, I would say projection or, or outlook for this team. I mean, they're one of those teams that, has has a lot of variance obviously right and so it's impossible to know for sure how all the pieces are going to come together it's impossible to really say well freddie kitchens is a great coach because to me a lot of what happened last year was just hugh jackson was terrible like Mm -hmm. that offense was an absolute disaster like they they didn't do any of the simple smart things that you do like running pass plays out of heavy sets running play action you know like all of these simple things that they just all of a sudden press that advantage play action they they had one of the highest drop rates before jackson left Mm -hmm. i think it was the second lowest uh after kitchen started a lot of things baker was fantastic but a lot of those things were i mean he was great in unstable situations he was phenomenal on the run Mm -hmm. amazing scrambling out of the pocket and throwing the ball he was fantastic throwing into tight coverage which look is great but it's also going to rely on your your receivers always making those plays so i'm not quite i think i think the funny thing with baker is he could have he could challenge for being the best you know quarterback in the league this year Mm -hmm. that's not i think crazy um but people might be a little frustrated because he put up such kind of gaudy touchdown interception numbers last year. And look, I, I think maybe a little bit bit of it is noise. Yeah, and what we saw, you know, Freddie Kitchens, you know, when he took over, the, the Cleveland had a pretty simple schedule down the stretch, right? right? And, you know, in the games where they faced playoff teams, they did not win, right? They did not beat Baltimore, although they covered. Um, you know, one of the games we picked them last year, I believe, we were three and three picking Browns games. Um, you know, they, they, they lost to Kansas City at home with, under Kitchens, right? They, they beat the breaks off of Cincinnati twice. Um, they, they beat, you know, they, they beat Atlanta. Okay, that was a game that we had mishandicapped. Mis, uh, but, you know, really they weren't, they weren't facing a murderer's row. They weren't targeted at all, right? Um, they struggled, for example, that, that Saturday night game over the Christmas weekend when they played, uh, you know, Denver and they really, you know, they did not get going really offensively. They, they were helped out a lot by Vance Joseph having the time of his life sort of thing. So, you know, I, again, last season was extremely encouraging for them. Um, but I think going be going from seven, eight and one to 10 and six is a lot harder than going from zero and 16 to seven, eight and one. One, one thing that's interesting though, you look at their, their least valuable players, for example, 
uh, Tyra Taylor, Christian Kirksey, Derek Kennard, Tevin Coley, Desmond Harrison. Harrison released this week. Uh, Kindred was released as well. Tyra Taylor now is the back quarterback for the Chargers. So they have gotten rid of some of the players that didn't play for the, well for them last, last time. And they've been picking good players in the draft. Their most valuable players, Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, you know, uh, traded for uh, Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, Joe Schobert, all draft picks that they've had pretty high over the last few years. So they have been drafting, you know, John Dorsey, you know, drafting real football players. Now they have done a pretty good job there, um, you know, in the draft. So they have some young talent. It'll be interesting to see what they do. If all of these players end up good, which ones they choose to resign and which ones they allow to move on. Well, if Ward can become that sort of shutdown corner, that's huge for them. Um, they had really struggled in coverage uh, prior to him getting there. He showed, obviously, great great signs last year. The Greedy Williams pick is kind of interesting because he doesn't fit their scheme really at all. was a great value where they got him um, at 46. A lot of people thought he could have been a top 10 pick. We thought he could have been a top 10 pick, certainly. So how they integrate him, if they do so correctly, and you end up with two really good cornerbacks on the outside – I mean, what a what a tremendous opportunity, right? You got Miles mm-hmm. Garrett rushing the passer, and then you have two lockdown corners that make your coverage very strong. And then on the other side of the ball, you have Baker and, and Jarvis and Odell. So the potential for them to be strong at establishing the pass and stopping the pass is certainly there. But Pittsburgh is no slouch. Mm-hmm. I think people are drastically overrating how much Antonio Brown leaving is going to impact them and probably overreacting to Bell, like signing with the Jets, even though he didn't play with them last year. I'm sure that still has something uh, to do with it. And then Baltimore, who, look, Lamar Jackson looked bad at the end of last year. To me, we really don't know what that offense is yet because he came in sort of just in the middle of the season. I want to see what happens when they design an offense, have time to actually implement it around the things that he does well. Absolutely. And Cincinnati is a team that I think is going to be a little bit underrated in the marketplace. Their over-under is you know a solid win less than where we have them. You look at the sort of how things happen in the NFL. Cincinnati was one of the worst teams in terms of coverage last season. Mm-hmm. You know, just by simple regression alone, but also the fact that their schedule gets a lot easier. They should be better there. Um, they were a pretty good offense before Andy Dalton got hurt. They have two 1,000-yard receivers, a pretty versatile running back, Tyler Eifert. You know, they they have a tight end. You know, they have a collection of tight ends that could be good. Jonah Williams comes in, like sort of solidifies that left tackle position. So, sure. you know. If you're looking at Cleveland and you're saying, okay, the the trajectory is up, 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 up for Cleveland, you're making an implicit assumption that the trajectories for Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincinnati are all going down, and I th- and I think that that's a little bit strong uh, right now uh, if you're looking to handicap the AFC North. So, you know, we, I again, this league is going to be a lot better when the Browns are good, right? It, it always we've been saying that for years, and I think they will be good. I don't necessarily know if they're a stone cold lock for any of these things. Yes, I'm with you there. Um, but it should be fun, nonetheless. We have to see them on primetime a couple of times, so that'll be awesome. Let's talk more about Baker. I want to. I want to re. You're wearing the shirt, so I think we should talk about this. There's been debates um, in this office over who you would rather have, Mahomes or Mayfield. Now, I presume the shirt you are wearing says your answer. Tell me your reasons. Uh, well, you know, I think so. For me, it's the coach quarterback com- com- combination is just simply has a longer track record, right? Um, we don't know a ton about. Sure, but I'm saying it's not. You don't get to take the coach with you. Okay, but but even then, like, don't would you would you say that playing for Andy Reid makes you a better quarterback fundamentally? Sure, but that's really. You're saying, okay, he's played for Andy Reid for two years, started for one. and therefore- So then if he went to a different coach, I do think you would bring some of those things with him. Like the beautifully designed offense? Yeah, but the things that he, you know, and I guess Donovan McNabb's not making my point for me very well, but, you know, because he stunk in Washington and Minnesota. But like, but okay, so independent of that, I still think that Mahomes, I still think Mahomes physically is a more gifted player. Um, and I think production wise, he was better than Mayfield last season. And you could, 
and, and I guess, again, this will be the tough test because I do think their supporting casts are closer now. In, in fact, even tipping to the, you know, to the Brown scales quite a bit if Hill doesn't play. Um, so we'll, we'll get to see a, a, a better look there. But Mahomes was good not only fundamentally but also on the stat sheet, whereas Mayfield was very good you know, fundamentally, and then it, the stat sheet sort of caught up. Um, you know, it, it's a, I don't think it's just about taste. I do think that Mahomes is just slightly better. Interesting. It's hard to it, – the tough thing is you can't really divorce Mahomes from what his opportunities were last year, right? He just had so many opportunities given that offense and given those players. On the other side of things, Mayfield overcame a incredibly suboptimal situation in mm-hmm. both regards last year. So I, I know that if you put this like poll up on Twitter, people – you know it, it'd be a joke. It'd be like – Everyone selecting Mahomes, you get laughed out of the the box. Um, I thought of the box. What does that even mean? You get you get mocked for picking Mayfield, but I think there is an argument to be made for Mayfield. He played. He's played one season, very suboptimal situation, and was well above average. Yep. So, if I'm saying who's a guy that, regardless of the situation. You know, that's kind of what you always think of with tier one guys, regardless of who's around them. Think about Tom Brady. This guy is going to, there's a floor here that is good. It's not just average. It is good. He will make this team good. That is what I see with Mayfield. Not saying I don't see it with Mahomes, but there's just no, he hasn't had to deal with that situation. So to me, this year is the one that will tell us more about being able to make this decision because there were still things that Mayfield did that you know weren't particularly great. He was tenth from a clean pocket last year, um, you know twelfth under pressure. So some stable, unstable things that really did help him out there. Um, if you look at his accuracy, for example, fifth in accuracy into tight windows, which. That's fantastic, but is also an unstable thing. It's good that you're capable of doing that, but let's not you know project not that as the the norm. Overly excited, had an over eight percent turnover worthy play rate on second or third mm-hmm. or fourth reads, which is almost double what the NFL rate is. Yep. Those are things that traditionally just you don't you hate to see it. Really, <laughs> um, was tremendous throwing over the middle of the field, but had some struggles making some poor throws outside of the numbers. So. I'm not saying that um, I wouldn't take Mahomes right now because I think, gun to my head, I would. But I think it's very close. And after this season, I think there's a pretty darn good chance that Mayfield is the answer. What's nice, though, is that Mayfield, I believe, is older than Mahomes. So they're, yes. And they oh, have sure. the, same, the, same, the same number of years as a starter. So we really are, you know, we really are seeing sort of like them at the same initial condition to some degree. Although, no. Well, I mean, the from a, fun, had, from a process Mahomes standpoint. had an entire season of learning from Andy Reid and then got to start with a fresh slate. I'm talking about continuity. from a process standpoint. Like, you and my opinion of him is not, is not like, oh, one's the MVP and one's just a dude, right? Like, we both view him as if there are eight quarterbacks in the NFL that are worthy of that second big contract, we believe they're, they're, those two are in that eight. And, like, whether you shuffle – like the the rankings of any of those eight quarterbacks is sort of like about taste to right. my opinion the the thing that the thing that I'll counter with on behalf of Mahomes is that he was an MVP candidate from probably the first quarter of the season on he when you watch some of those games like for example against Baltimore like it's amazing. You got you got every defense's best. The game against New England, yes. they go scoreless in the first or they have maybe one touchdown in the first half and then he just puts up 30 in the second. Like there's there's some and I, and Mayfield gets all of these points for having Moxie for being a great leader and all that stuff and he deserves most most if not all of them. I think Mahomes is underrated in that aspect of of play. Sure, and I don't disagree with you. However, having Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Andy Reid and Damian Williams is is an amazing th- amazing. Look, now Mayfield has Kareem Hunt. We'll be able to properly compare them. I mean, Jarvis Landry was legitimately by far the best receiver that they had and was fantastic but like dropping 95 yard touchdowns you can to the only, ravens but <laughs> you can only do so much you know when that's your number one guy tyree kill creating eight yards of separation downfield is a nice thing to have so it's a little bit of both in my opinion they're going one two though 
if you're drafting for the future, no doubt about it, right? I'm, those are the two that I'm considering. Um, the, a distant third, but I think somebody who's, could, who's legitimately on that borderline in the conversation is Watson. I think, you know, I, oh, wow. I, you know, I, however, after having watched Houston games back a little bit, that I, I wonder if Mayfield or Mahomes had that type of infrastructure at the offensive line slash Bill O'Brien's okay as a play caller, but like, how would they have performed? I think Watson performed at least very admirably in those situations. Not an MVP, not a whatever. I love Deshaun Watson. I, I will be very interested to see what this same question, the answers to it after the season, because you could see Kyler Murray getting up there. Curious how Darnold plays. Um, and then there's guys like, look, if I'm drafting right now, does having a six-year run, seven-year run make it worth it? In which case, am I taking Russell Wilson or Andrew Luck? I, I think those are considerations as well uh, if you were to put a, a number scale uh your confidence that that mahomes is the right decision over mayfield right now what is it uh 62.5 nice i i'm very it's very close for me i'm gonna go 51 i i think it is really really close i i love mahomes so much of what he did was on the right side of variance, including the continuity of his supporting cast. Mm-hmm. All things being equal, I I just don't know. So I'm very un, undecided. This gets us back to the Trubisky comment, though. So so when you get the right side of variance all the time, mm-hmm. the thing to do is to throw 50 touchdowns and win the MVP. Right. Not to sure. throw 24 touchdowns, 12 sure. picks, yes. and lose a playoff game no, no. 16 to 15 to, to, we to the are, Eagles. We are in lockstep here. I mean, I, Mahomes was absolutely, utterly amazing. And the, here's, we, we have talked about the amazing things that he did. He avoided negatively uh, graded plays as well as Breeze did last year. It's not as if Mahomes does not do the stable things that you expect him to do. It is just simply, well, Andy Reid creates those situations better than anyone else. We'll see if our boy Freddie Kitchens. I mean, look, they doubled their yards per play on screen passes after Hugh Jackson left. Whether that was Freddie Kitchens being amazing or Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley being, well, they were less ni- than 19th in EPA per pass play. If you look at the whole season, they yep. were fourth after Kitchens took over. So, you know, again, take it with a grain of salt given the defenses they played, but it was still non trivial. Since week nine last season, NFL leaders in yards per pass. Mahomes, uh, 9. Baker Mayfield, 9.2. So, I mean, those two guys were absolutely incredible. This is a fun debate. I look forward to having it multiple times over the course of the next couple years. We'll be watching Trubisky, Brady this week. We hope you guys join along with us. For more, of course, head to profootballfocus.com and uh, hit us up on Twitter if you have any kind comments. Pass our way. See you guys. Oh,